I am a married man of 33 years. I am a married man of 33 years. And one of my spousal duties, one of my spousal duties is to notice, is to notice Jenny. I am supposed to notice her outfits. I am supposed to notice the stuff that she does. For example, in our family, the way the division of labor works, I'm the primary grocery shopper, food cooker, and kitchen cleaner upper and laundry doer. And she takes care of all gifts for all family members all year long. She has a space in her closet where it's demarcated and every person has a barrel. And stuff, as she finds it, goes in the barrel. And she's amazing at finding bargains all year long and filling these barrels with stuff so that at birthday or Christmas, it unlocks and it's there. I'm also supposed to notice her haircuts and her hairstyles, especially as they change. As it turns out, last month, Josh, she got a haircut. And she hadn't gone in six months, and she had roughly six to eight inches of hair cut. Jenny came home and I said nothing <laughs> for four hours. Then she asked me this question. You didn't notice, did you? Now, fellas, if you've only been married a short time, <laughs> when your wife asks you that question, remember Admiral Akbar. It's a trap. <laughs> It's a trap. <laughs> because if you say, yes, I noticed, and you said nothing, <clears throat> and if you didn't notice, <clears throat> okay, so, so that's how things work in married land, in married land. Like every now and then, you notice and you don't notice. Um, every single one of us wants to be noticed and seen. Every single one of us. Babies become distressed if their mom's gaze isn't on them, if mom pulls out the phone or if mom is distracted before too long, that baby gets all bent out of shape. Look at me, mom, look at me, okay? Notice me, notice me. Um, I had, uh, I've had my son's dog a lot lately. Uh, I've had my son's dog a lot lately, so I've been walking around the neighborhood. And I walk around the neighborhood taking uh, little Emmett, that's his name, without my phone. Now, there's a neighbor of mine who lives a block down the street, and he has a, a hot dog. Is that what they're called? The long, the really long dog. So he has a really long dog that kind of, that kind of bends down in the middle. And I always think this guy is scraping the sidewalk as he walks along. So he's, he's a well-fed hot dog. And... And the way he walks his dog is he has the leash but in one hand and he has his phone in the other and he walks like this with his face about like the phone four inches from his face. And I'm always afraid like he's going to trip or fall or something like that. But I don't walk that way. So I, I'm walking Emmett and Emmett can't walk quickly because for him it's all about the sniffs. Okay? It's all about the sniffs. So we go at a very, very slow pace which means I've noticed a lot of things in my neighborhood. For example, the Warrens have a new dog themselves. 
the dog that they had for like 15 years died a couple of years ago. And I thought, well, they're done because they're in their 70s. And they were like, we don't want to care for another dog. I remember having that conversation. And sure enough, there's a new dog in Team Warren land. I've also noticed that my neighbors two doors down have finished their remodeling project. They gutted the whole first floor of their house. You can now see through the front window all the way through the back window through to the backyard. It's an amazing thing when the curtains are open, okay? <laughs> I've also noticed that Captain Carey, who is an airline pilot in our neighborhood, he's walking, now that he's retired, four to five times a day. I bet that guy's getting 20,000, 30,000 steps a day, okay? Here's what I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus noticed people. Jesus noticed people. He did. Um, so... In Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, Jesus notices someone who is along the road where he's entering a town. It's a very famous story. I've taught on it before. But it's Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to go through it a little bit by a little bit. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your house today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Okay? Noticing is a gateway to relationships. Noticing is a gateway to relationships. The first step in developing a relationship with anyone starts with noticing them. And Jesus notices everyone. Everyone. Let me tell you a little bit about Jericho, ancient Jericho. Ancient Jericho was the winter capital, the winter home of King Herod. Um, it was a thriving trade town known for its rich balsam groves, which produced lots of business, lots of trade, and lots of money. It was a town that had a lot going on and a lot going for it. Zacchaeus was what we would call today a man of means. He was wealthy before he became a tax collector because that wealth enabled him to buy a franchise from Rome that then put him into the arch tax collector status for all of Jericho. Zacchaeus would have had a number of people working for him and the way it worked with Rome was, if you were the 
arch tax collector, your job was to make sure that the quota assigned to your area was collected and delivered to Rome. If you collected anything more than that, that was yours. And tax collectors were known for collecting more than what Rome required. Um, you could almost call it legalized extortion. And that's what they did. And that's what Zacchaeus did. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Right. We, we, we tell the story of Zacchaeus, and it's told to us when we're children. And we think of him as this kind of likable guy because of the way we sing about him. You need to think about Zacchaeus the way we would think about a drug lord or a crime boss or a mobster or a thug because that's what he was. That's what he was. Only, only Jesus sees Zacchaeus. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. So Zac, if I can call him that, Zach is despised by all of the people in Jericho. He is hated. If they would have had dartboards back then, his portrait would have been the bullseye pattern for throwing darts. Like, he was hated, okay? Hated. And Jesus, Jesus notices him. Jesus sees him. And what Jesus sees is different than what the people see. Jesus sees a man who's looking for a better life, who had probably grown up. He, we know he was Jewish, so he, we know he went to synagogue when he was younger. We know he learned the Torah, and then we know he became wealthy, and we know he became this arch tax collector. But once he became the arch tax collector, he was no longer welcome in anyone else's home. He wasn't invited to the weddings or the celebrations anymore because now he was a Roman compromiser, a, a thug for Rome, a turncoat, a traitor, and an extortionist. He was a bad man. And that's all anybody saw in the city of Jericho, but not Jesus. Jesus sees someone who's open to the possibility of change. Someone who's curious, someone who's trying to get a better look. And so, like Zach, we encounter people like him all over our lives, don't we? Sometimes I encounter people like Zach who are facing a difficult circumstance. They've been through a divorce, they've lost someone really important in their lives, they've had huge financial upheaval hit them. And because of that season, because of that difficult set of circumstances, they're open, they're curious. In the Chamber of Commerce circles that I travel, I've run into people who are my age and, and a little older who've made it in life. These are the guys that hang out at Jake's Cigar Bar. I don't go there. <laughs> but they're the kind of guys who hang out at Jake's Cigar Bar on a Friday, Saturday, or Sunday pontificating about life. And some of them have hit a point where they've recognized, you know, I have everything I want. I have more than anything I'll ever want or need for the rest of my life. But I, I don't feel different. I thought I would feel different if I achieved, attained, had. 
but I don't feel different on the inside. And so they're almost Solomonic in the way that they smoke their cigars and talk about life and try and figure out, is there something greater? Is there something more meaningful than what I've experienced? Another side of Zacchaeus that other people have forgotten is this curiosity part, right? They just see the bully. They just see the evil man. They don't see him as someone who has the potential to think about things, to be curious, to be open. And one of the things I want to remind you about Jesus is that Jesus front loads all of his relationships with acceptance. Table fellowship in the ancient world conveyed that you are acceptable, which is why Jesus gets in trouble with the God squad. Because they're like, whoa, whoa, you shouldn't be eating with this man. We know the kind of man that he is. And we're afraid that if you're at his table, everyone will think that what you're saying is he's acceptable, Jesus. He's not acceptable. Do you understand this, Jesus? Of course he did. (laughs) Of course he understood it. And yet he goes to the home of Zacchaeus. And he invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. When Jesus came by, he looked up and said, I must be a guest at your house today. I don't know how you feel about Jesus inviting himself into your life and circumstances, but that happened to Zach. (laughs) Surprise! You're going to have a house guest today. And anyone in that crowd would have been surprised. They would have been shocked. Because again, Jesus is eating with someone they would have never eaten with. And what happens as a result of this? Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. He volunteers half of what he owns, and he's going to pay restitution for anyone he's cheated four times the amount of what he took. Now, in Levitical law, in Leviticus chapter 6, the Bible says if you take, if you steal, if you extort, you have to restore it and give back a 20% premium. And then in Exodus, it goes even further, and it says if you're caught with goods that don't belong to you, you've got to pay back double. So is Zacchaeus doing more than what's required or less? More. He's doing more than what's required. Something's got a hold of him on the inside. Something's different about Zacchaeus. And here's the thing. There are Zacchaeuses all around us. I want to give you a few statistics about where Americans are today. 80% of Americans say they're spiritually open. I'll tell you this as your pastor. I've had more spiritually frank conversations with people in the last three years that I would have never expected to have. People who simply, because they know I represent Jesus. So Max, I've been wondering, and out it comes. And I've had to sometimes pick my proverbial jaw off the floor. (laughs) Because again, for as far as I was concerned, God wasn't doing nothing inside that person. Like they're about as dead, as cold, stony heart as you can get. And yet God surprised me. God surprised me. 44% of Americans say that they are more open to God and spirituality now than they were before the pandemic. There's something about the pandemic that they're like, you know what? This whole Team America thing and everything we've been doing, this isn't working for me. 
<laughs> Can I get an amen? This whole Team America thing hadn't been working for me. <laughs> okay? They're open. They're open. And again, some of them it's because they're facing difficulties. And some of them it's because they finally hit someplace in life that they thought would change them and it didn't change them. Okay? And all of that's happening at a time when church attendance is going down. <laughs> church attendance is declining. Before the pandemic, one out of four Americans, one out of four, would darken the doors of a house of worship. By 2050, it's expected that that number will go down to one in 10. Okay? I'm going to tell you a little secret of what I believe. I think we're going to hit that one in 10 long before we ever hit 2050. I think the pandemic just accelerated the rate of decline. So here's the weird situation we find ourselves in. On the one hand, people are open and curious and they want to know, is God real? Is Jesus who he said he is? On the other hand, they're absolutely convinced they're not going to get that through organized religion. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? Team Asbury got a front row seat to this last year when the world came to our doorstep. For those of you that don't know, I teach on the side for Asbury. And for about six weeks, thousands and thousands of people showed up from all over the world to encounter who? God. Because People had recorded TikTok videos, and as far as they could tell, God was showing up in this magic box on the campus of Asbury University called Hughes Auditorium. People won't even wait in line at Disney World for three hours for something. I work the line every night. I can tell you they waited in line eight hours or longer to get in that room. Are people hungry? Yes, people are hungry. People are hungry. And I want to suggest to you that our world, literally right outside those doors and in your life, are people like Zach from Luke chapter 19. They're curious, they're open, they're wondering, they're looking for Jesus, even though they may not be able to articulate it. In light of what we see in Luke chapter 19, I want to ask you this simple question. I want you to think of a time when someone noticed something positive about you, how did it feel to be noticed? How did it feel to be seen? And then secondly, what if one of the ways Jesus notices people in the world today is by using you and me? What if one of the ways that Jesus notices people in the world today is by using you and me? Okay, what are some ways that we can practically take this home? Well, first, first and foremost, if you simply every now and then put down your phone, you're going to make yourself so different weird from every other American in the world. <laughs> but every now and then, during the week, put your phone down and pay attention to the people that you encounter ordinarily in your life. The same person that you see every morning when you get your coffee at the Wawa, <laughs> right? The, the people in the school line, the people waiting in the ballet studio. I don't know what that is for you. The people on your bus, for those of you that are in school, there's lots of other students too, and they have all the same 
I don't care how much bravado they have. All the other students in your school feel the same way that you do. You know how they feel? Ah! Ah! <laughs> That's how they feel. Some of them are just better fakers. Okay? Okay? So the first thing that we could do is simply put our phone down and pay attention to the people that we ordinarily come in contact with. Okay? Um, one of the ways that I do that is I, I have these, I have some phrases I throw out to, to kind of make it different. Um, one thing when people will say, well, how are you doing? I'll just say, man, I'm tired because I know they're going to say the same thing. And then I'm like, well, what's making you tired? See? And then now we're having a conversation. Another thing I like to do is, uh, and I stole this from Paul Huber, so he gets credit for it. Paul just calls everyone boss. He's done that for a long time. And I picked this up from him. And here's what I've noticed. If you are under the age of 30 to have a man my age call you boss, do you know what immediately happens? Ding. They smile. They stand a little taller. They're thrilled. If you're over a certain age and I call you boss, it's rough. I did this at the Salvation Army where I was teaching this past week. There was a man clearly who was in his 60s who was the guard of the door that we entered. The first day we walk in, I'm like, hey, boss, how's it going today? Don't call me boss. I'm not your boss. I'm not anyone's boss. I'm not in charge of anything. You can call me Jimmy or you can call me sir, but don't you ever call me boss. <laughs> Boom. So then the other Asbury profs were like, man, Max, you got in trouble. And I said, I know. Watch, in two days, I'm going to call him chief. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the other faculty members said, I'll give you a dollar if you have the cur I said, you're going to, and sure enough, I got that dollar in my pocket right now. <laughs> right now. But I can tell you this, I know Jimmy and Jimmy knows me a lot better than we did. <laughs> I can tell you some things about Jimmy, okay? So every now and then, put your phone down and just pay attention to the people that you encounter anyway, okay? And then secondly, pray secretly for these people. Pray secretly. Have you ever noticed this? Every single person, whether they're born again or not, has this portal in their life where they can talk to God. If I, if I go into a secular group of people, a room full of a thousand people who've never darkened the doors of church, and I were to say to them, okay, right now, I want you to talk to God. Every single one of them would know how to do it. And would, you know, like, isn't that crazy that we have this capacity to do this? <laughs> right? And so pray secretly for these people. And here's why. God's already at work in their life. God's already doing things. God's already wooing. God's already orchestrating things. God, here's the thing that missionaries from the Western world, it took them 100 years to figure this out. They would show up places thinking, God has not been here until I arrived on the boat, plane, train, car, mule, whatever. And somewhere about a, after 100 years or so of doing this, they realized, oh, they may not know the name of Jesus, but God's, <laughs> God has already been here. God's already been prepping the soil, so to speak. And there are points of connection and then points of challenge. But holy cow, God's already been at work. So here's the good news for all these people that you encounter. God's already working in their lives. He's already working in their lives. Okay? And then the third thing is, and this could be fun, 
people watch. Every now and then, just people watch. Who do you notice? What do you notice? Right? (laughs) So I say this so much that you're probably sick of it, but I'm going to say it again. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. So when Jesus says something, God is saying something. When Jesus sees something, God is seeing something. When Jesus feels something that, that's giving us a clear indication of how God feels about a particular situation or set of circumstances, Jesus sees everyone. And Jesus sees you, where you are. I don't know what your life has been like because I don't know what it is to be you. I know what it is to be me, barely sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what it is to be you. I don't know how challenging the year has been. I don't know what the things are that make you sing and laugh, and I don't know what necessarily what the things are that make you cry and want to just absolutely despair. But I want to remind you today that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. And God is moved to act. After all, he's going into Jericho, and who does Jesus see? Zacchaeus, the guy that everyone else in town had written off. But Jesus sees him, and the encounter with Jesus changes him. His circumstances didn't change. He was still the chief tax collector as far as we know. He didn't move as far as we know. There was nothing magical that changed about his circumstances, but that encounter with Jesus changed him here. And I'm going to bet that it changed a lot of his relationships. A lot of his relationships, okay? Years ago, when I was a student in high school, um, when I was a freshman, my dad announced to me that we were going to move. So we were going to move from Hartford City, Indiana, to Las Vegas, Nevada. And I, one of the things I was going to have to give up was marching band. So I, ha- I had so been looking forward all through middle school of joining the high school marching band because I lo- I, I'm a sucker for uniforms. I don't know if you figured this out. If I could wear a uniform every day of the week, I would. I'm so, like Every time we go teach, Asbury goes teach with the Salvation Army, it's like they want to tie a rope around me because they're afraid I'm going to go be like, so how do you become a soldier? What kind of uniform will I get? Like, <laughs> okay, so just know I'm a sucker for uniforms. And, and my high school band had the best uniforms. And so I'm going to get in one marching band performance, just one, before my parents rip me up and pull me away and move me to Las Vegas. And normally, the first two or three performances of the year, our high school marching band would wear these terrible uniforms that were the tidy-tidy 1970s shorts with the, with the socks that go up to your knee and the, the white t-shirts with the red band around the collar and the sleeves. You know what I'm talking about? 1970s stuff. That's what we would wear the first two or three marching band performances because it was hot. But the first performance, knowing that I'm going to move, knowing that my parents are ripping me out of my home context, my band director looked at me and he said, you know what? It's going to be really cold tonight. It wasn't going to be cold. (laughs) We're doing full uniforms tonight. Everybody in the band room, oh, they're they're like throwing hate to Mr. Fisk. And he pulled me aside and he looked me in the eye and he said, Mark, this is for you. He saw me. 
He saw me. That's how God is. So I just want to remind you of the good news that God sees, God knows, God cares, and God is moved to act.